Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture comes from Proverbs 5, 1 through 23. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to show. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of your life you groan, when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink the water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoiced in the wife of your youth a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. You may be seated. Let me just pray one more time for us. Heavenly Father, I sense now um, just the great burden of presenting this text to us. And so, Father, we pray, would you send your spirit afresh? Would he come and would he show us more clearly than anything your grace and your mercy in our lives? Speak to us now, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, good morning. Uh, great to be back. For those of you who are new-ish, my name is Daniel. I had the opportunity of serving here as a church planting apprentice. Recently, we just uh, began meeting out in Surrey. want to thank you as a church for helping us plant Christ City Surrey. You've been so generous with your time, uh, with your finances in sending people. And so grateful to be back. Grateful to see new faces and to see what the Lord is doing here. 
Um, John Bunyan, he uh, wrote the second most popular book after the Bible, namely The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, One of his lesser known books is called The Holy War. It's also an allegory. And in this allegory, he describes the city Mansoul. Mansoul is ruled by the, the benevolent King Shaddai. It is a fortress city. It is virtually impenetrable, except there are five vulnerabilities, five gates. You have the eye gate, the ear gate, the feel gate, the nose gate, and the mouth gate. Well, King Shaddai has an enemy. His name is Diabolus. And Diabolus is a traitor who wants to lay siege to Mansoul. And so where does Diabolus decide to attack man's soul? On the eye gate and in the ear gate. One of the messengers comes from Diabolus. He speaks to the townspeople and he dangles forbidden fruit before their eyes. Bunyan writes, people saw that the fruit was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. And when they heard the promises of Diabolus, the city fell. There was no battle that day. There was no fighting that day. The townspeople opened their gates to Diabolus and the city fell and King Shaddai was thrown out. This morning, we are continuing in our series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Jake invited me to speak on anything from the book of Proverbs. And so I thought the three most popular subjects are sex, the afterlife, and sex in the afterlife. And so uh, I would hit one of those this morning and, and talk to us about sex. In this passage... King Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, is writing to his son. His son would one day be the future king of Jerusalem. And if that king and his kingdom are going to prosper, then his son needs to know where his kingdom is vulnerable. And what King Solomon tells his son is that his greatest vulnerability is not out there, but it's in here. In his eyes and his ears. So Solomon is trying to warn his son to keep watch over his life. And one of the greatest temptations that targets our lives, both through our eyes and through our ears, is the temptation towards adultery. This morning, please don't get hung up by that word adultery by the specificity of that word adultery. More broadly, Solomon is warning his son against all sexual immorality. God has designed for sex to take place exclusively in the marriage of a man and a woman. Any sex outside of that is a violation of the seventh commandment. Jesus says, if anyone even looks at a woman with lustful intent, he has committed adultery in his heart. Therefore, adultery in the heart includes masturbation, looking at sex, or fantasizing about physical intimacy with someone who is not our spouse. 
Now, Solomon, though, is writing to his married son, and so he's warning his married son against adultery. That's why he uses that word here. Secondly, uh, as a little caveat here, please do not think that the Bible is portraying women as evil, as being a seductress, or as the reason that someone might commit adultery. Remember, Solomon is writing to his son. It would be different, or it would be the opposite, if a mom was writing to her daughter. She would say things like, stay away from men who trick you, who only compliment you for bodily gain, to take advantage of you for sexual intimacy. It's not women who are tempting. It's not even men who are tempting. It's us who are tempted. Be aware of the ways you are tempted. Thirdly, um, Solomon, you'll notice here, warns his son repeatedly about the temptation of adultery. Um, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, Solomon will speak about adultery not once, not twice, but three times. For three chapters in a row, Solomon will warn us, warn his son about adultery. If I were to title this sermon, I would title it The Talk. But the reality is, is the way the Bible invites us to view this engagement, this dialogue, is not as a one-off. It's not the talk. It ought to be the talkings. Sex is everywhere in our culture. Our culture will either sell you sex or sell you with sex. The, the porn industry is a $1 trillion a year industry. That means if you were to employ every single working Canadian for a year, you would be able to pay them $65,000 a year. The porn industry is as though all of Canada's working class were trying to engage you and invite you in. That's the force at which this comes with in our society. And so one little chat with your kids is not going to cut it. One, one little talk with a peer group is not going to cut it. This, this needs to be an ongoing engagement, an ongoing dialogue. How are you doing this? What's, what are you being tempted with? We, we should engage our children regularly in this. The, the average age of exposure to pornography is estimated to be about 11. That's the average age. That means it's coming for many much earlier. And so we need to have these talks with our kids, with one another, often and early. Now, my disclaimer this morning is this. Maybe some of you got an email. My aim is to be clear. I will not be crude, but I will aim to be clear. But I promise you I will not be clear enough. So please, keep having this conversation as you go. So here's Solomon's first talk. Here's my outline. Ready? The lie of adultery, the devastation of adultery, and the cure for adultery. The lie, the devastation, and the cure. Firstly, the lie of adultery. Look at verses 1 and 2. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. 
Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. This is a father pleading to his son. Son, you need to listen to me, please. Pay attention. This is important. I want to fight for your life here, okay? If you don't have a mom or a dad, please. This is your heavenly father pleading with you right now. Verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Watch out, Solomon says, for the forbidden woman. That word forbidden has the idea here of an outsider, of a, of a, of a foreigner, of a stranger. And you notice that that which is often forbidden is that which is most tempting. The thing you can't have is the, the thing you want. And so sin is seductive. And so Solomon warns us here about lips. About lips. Now Solomon will say, it's not that these, these lips are necessarily attractive or look good for kissing. It's that these lips are good for flattery. For flattery. Notice what he says. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. The adulteress knows how to puff up, how to make someone feel good, to, to stroke their ego, to give them a self of confidence and, and self-worth. She knows how to say things. She knows how to let you hear things that you don't normally get to hear otherwise. In, in preparation for this sermon, um, I was talking to a woman who was um, quickly climbing the ranks in her job. She was ex uh, excelling, surpassing many of her peers, and she was getting compliments and praise from her boss and her coworkers. She then uh, decided to leave her job to get married and to have children, and she noticed that she no longer had those ongoing and regular compliments that she was receiving at her workplace. And she was saying how easy it would have been to just fall into the arms of another, to, to just receive their honey lips, their words of affirmation, because she wasn't getting that otherwise. So my question for us this morning is, where are you getting your compliments from? Maybe there's someone at work, or at the gym, at the store you frequent regularly, online. Are you looking for it? Because if you are, you are in danger, Solomon is telling you. He says that the seduction of an adulteress promises life, but in reality it brings death. Again, he says in verse 3, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Look, th those words of affirmation, they sound like honey, but really they end up tasting bitter like wormwood. They seem like oil, but they cut you down like a double-edged sword. You, when you seek compliments from another, it, it's a potential, has the potential to take you to the grave. Um, forgive me if you've heard me use this illustration here before, but I think it's very helpful. 
Um, there is a lot of money in killing cows. There, there's a lot of money. Beef corporations pay a lot of money in turning cattle into meat. Uh, because researchers have realized, scientists have realized, that during this uh, process um, of turning cattle into meat, uh, Cattle emit certain hormones, and the greater the stress that they experience, the more of this hormone they emit, and the less quality of meat you actually end up with. And so scientists come in and tell you, hey, this is the way you need to execute cows. So they say, look, you need to gently lead your cows in silence onto a ramp. You, you gently push them through a squeeze chute, which mimics their mother's nuzzling touch. You lead them down a smooth, curving path where there's no sudden corners, and suddenly it feels like this is a path well-traveled. It's like they've done this before a thousand times. Eventually, a conveyor belt lifts them off of the ground. They don't even notice their feet aren't touching anymore. And in a blink of an eye, a surgical strike is ushered between their eyes and livestock becomes meat. That process, the scientists call the stairway to heaven. Solomon says, the path to adultery can lull you into thinking everything is fine. Everything is safe and comfortable and nothing can go wrong, but in a moment it can kill you. Adultery is a lie. It promises life, but it delivers death. You may not be in a full-fledged adulterous affair right now. But my question is, are you on the path? You're toying with it over here. You're, you're flirting over here. Look at this little tiny racy picture. You stare at someone for longer than you know you ought to. You fantasize about it a little bit. You might think you're on the stairway to heaven, but actually you're at the slaughterhouse. Secondly, the devastation of adultery. Verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Verse 8. Keep away from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I do not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Um, scientists, it turns out, will offer individuals tours of um, the slaughterhouse. And unfortunately, what happens sometimes is someone jumps the tour and looks at the end result. So one scientist, she, she says, there was a woman who walked into the blood room. Where, where the slaughter happens, she saw the carnage and the smell of blood, and she became instantly nauseated and traumatized. And so what the scientists had to quickly do then is pull that woman aside, calm her down, 
She brought her up to the catwalk where the cows are gently on their journey, walking peacefully to the end. And the scientist said, that woman said, oh, it's not so bad now. Um, That's, I think, the way temptation works. What Satan wants to do is he wants to conceal the future from you and only show you those immediate pleasures. Right? That's the way he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. No, no, no. It's beautiful fruit. You, you won't die. Don't, don't worry about the, what's going to happen down the road. Just think of the here and now. You could be, you could be like God. And so Solomon, what he wants to do, he wants to pull back the curtain and show his son and show us what the end result actually ends up being. Okay, so Solomon says there's two consequences of adultery here. The first one is dishonor. It can bring dishonor. So listen to verse 8 and 9 again. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Or verse 14, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Adultery causes not only you, but also others to think less of you. Internally, you begin to feel shame and guilt. You wonder if you ever deserve to be loved again. Then that slowly makes its way outward. You lose the love of your spouse if she finds out about it or he finds out about it. Your children are heartbroken. They no longer think you're the mom or dad you are that they once had. And your relationships can become permanently fractured. Biblically, if your spouse wants, they can pursue divorce. Then it goes even more public. Right? Your friends hear about it, your parents hear about it, your coworkers hear about it, your neighbors can hear about it, your name's dragged through the mud, you're labeled a liar, a cheat, selfish. You, you, people begin to think you are the person who takes the easy way out. And it's so hard to come back from that perception of you. In the musical Hamilton, right, the, the musical describes an up-and-coming politician Alexander Hamilton. He's writing uh, the American Constitution. He's considered one of America's most brilliant minds. And yet there's a moment in his life where he feels the weight and the stresses of life. He feels like the world is, is closing in on him. He can barely stand under it. And so in the moment of escape, he commits adultery. Well, one of the most passionate moments in the musical is sung by his wife, Eliza. And she says this, You forfeit all rights to my heart. You forfeit all rights to our bed. You'll sleep in your office instead with only the memories of when you were mine. I hope that you burn. And then almost right after that, Almost in jest, almost in mockery, Thomas Jefferson, his leading uh, competition in the presidential race, says, you're never going to be president now. Never going to be president. You're never going to be president now. Never going to be president. Because the world has come to see who he really is. His name's been dragged through the mud. 
He's brought dishonor to himself, to his wife, to his nation. And it's so hard to come back from that. Adultery brings dishonor, but it also is draining. It's draining. Listen again to verses 8 through 11. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go out to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Um, Porn is not a victimless crime or a victimless activity. It saps the life from you and from others. Uh, In the book, Premarital Sex in America, the authors say porn basically affects everyone. Porn affects virtually everyone, I quote. They say pornography makes sex a consumer activity, meaning that instead of using sex as a means of serving our spouse, relationships become about being served. Others become commodities in your life. They say pornography causes you to have crushingly unrealistic expectations, I'm quoting here, of what people ought to look like and perform like in the bedroom. For men especially, pornography causes you to have a lower threshold and tolerance for difficulty in life. You are far more quick to run from your problems. Subconsciously, it forces women to accommodate to the fashion of pornography. And... Every time you click, your brain is flooded with dopamine, numbing your ability to enjoy pleasure doing something else. To actually withdraw from an addiction to pornography, they say, scientists basically equate it to almost like withdrawing from cocaine. It's that hard. And more than anything else right now, Solomon wants to say, it takes time. It just drains you of your life. My wife is sharing, she's a teacher in the school, that many um, high schoolers would often show up and they're just absolutely exhausted, falling asleep at their desk, unable to pay attention because they've been clicking one after the other till 2 a.m. in the morning and they just have nothing left to give. I want to call you to a life of fullness. I want to call you to loving others, to loving your kids, to loving your spouse, to loving your neighbors, and to loving your God. And that takes time and energy, and you're just sapping yourself of that life if you're looking at pornography. Please, please, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to plead with you. Like Solomon's pleading with his son, don't let this pull you down. Fight it. Get rid of it. It's killing you. Lastly then, what is the cure for adultery? The cure for adultery. Solomon gives us three strategies. Three strategies. The first one, get away. Just get away from it, right? Verse 8 Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Solomon says, look, look, 
Don't go near her. That's it. Just, just stop there. He doesn't say, you know what? You should go evangelize her. You should, you should confront her and gently talk to her about her ways and what she's doing to you. Right? He says, no, no, just, just get away. Don't walk by her de- desk. Don't, don't text him. Don't, don't partner on jobs together. Just cut it out of your life. Flee, Jesus says. Flee temptation. Right? What, what would it take you to cut sexual immorality and the temptation to it out of your life? Do it. Maybe that means installing uh, privacy blockers or adult content blockers on your phone, giving that code to your spouse, and don't let them tell you. Right? So what? Maybe there's a website that shows up that you actually need to access that's accidentally blocked. Who cares? Go look at that website on a computer that's out in the public or in your workspace. Right? Take drastic steps. Cut out internet from your phone. Right? Don't, don't go to that place anymore. Maybe that means you don't listen to certain music. You don't watch certain shows. You don't read certain books. Do whatever it takes. Take drastic measures because the problem or the, the end result is also drastic and devastating. Fight it. So one, get away. Second strategy, Solomon says, have some fun of your own. Um, this battle is, ought, ought to be fought on two fronts. Stay away from temptation and satisfy your desires through your spouse. Now, uh, I'll be honest, um, this, is, uh, this is just difficult to read and explain, uh, but it's in the Bible, and so I'm just going to say it. Um, and so if, you feel, if it looks like I'm getting red, it's probably because I am. Um, uh, it's harder for me than it is for you, okay? But this is what it says. Verse, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Uh, the Bible speaks of a woman's genitalia as a well. And so, depending on how literally you want to read this metaphor, this can be a reference to oral sex or just a full-on delight and repeated return to your spouse. Verse 16, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Again, probably metaphorical language for a male orgasm here. And then he says in verse 18 and 19, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. That's how he's describing her breasts. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. And all God's people said, Amen. Look, sex is is a gift from God. That's what Solomon's saying. It's a gift from the Lord. God invented the orgasm. He didn't, he didn't, it wasn't there walking around in the garden 
Adam and Eve are just having fun, living the Solomon life here. And he goes, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Right? He wasn't surprised by that. He invented that. He made that. It's a, it's a gift to, to us that we might experience that pleasure. We, we should delight in and enjoy sexual intimacy. It's a means not only to procreate, it's a way of commitment. It means of, it's a means of giving ourselves, of being vulnerable with our spouse and saying, all that I am is yours. It's, it's covenant glue. It, it, it binds you to your spouse. Now, I know... Um, I know sexual intimacy with your spouse may not be easy for all of you here. There's trauma and hurt and pain. And so to engage in sexual intimacy can be hard. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that at all. I don't want to just say, oh, it's easy, just do it. I'm, that's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm just, I just want to invite you, though, and encourage you to give of yourself emotionally, to give of yourself physically. This is not a, my wife, you are mine, and so I'm taking what is mine. No, this is, I'm yours, and so I'm giving myself to you. Give of yourself to your spouse. Stoke the flames at home. Build into that. It's okay if it takes time. It's okay if you're on a journey, but work towards it. It's a gift. Build into it. So we flee sexual immorality. We enjoy sexual intimacy at home. And we do one more thing. Because you need this one more thing. If you're single, right, you're thinking, great, I know the solution. Just get married. Just get married. That solves all my problems. Perfect. Yet, let me tell you, you could have a great sex life with your spouse and still be tempted towards sexual morality. You can still commit adultery, even if you have a great marriage and great sexual intimacy. So you need this third thing. The last strategy, and most important of all, is you need to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear God. Look at verses 21 to 23. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Let me read that again. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Uh, maybe it would surprise you to know that evangelical teenagers, right? So this, this is conservative Christian teenagers, are more likely to engage in premarital sex than their liberal uh, religious counterparts, like Mormons and Jews, for example. The reason evangelical teenagers are more likely to engage in premarital sex is because for the majority of them, they come from a lower socioeconomic class. Let me explain. 
The reason um, wealthier Christians or other faiths and religions don't engage in premarital sex as much as their uh, less wealthy counterparts is because they are doing risk management. It's risk management. The, the reason, according to Russell Moore, they avoid sexual inter intercourse is not because they didn't want to go to hell. It's because they do want to go to college. They do want a good job. They don't want to have a baby. They don't want, they don't want to be bound in, in marriage or, or, in, or in a relationship that, that invites them and that causes them to pour out their life for the sake of someone else. So, so they don't engage in sex. But if you're not as wealthy, you're not, you don't think you're going to college, well, then there's not that much to risk anymore. Solomon here is telling us that you can't see sexual holiness as a means of risk management. Instead, you need to pursue holiness because you love the Lord, because you fear the Lord, because, as verse 21 says, he sees all that you do. And you don't want to disregard him. You don't want to disobey him. You don't want to, you don't want to fracture your relationship with him. You don't want to be led astray to hell. Sexual freedom and sexual flourishing begins with a rightful fear of the all-seeing God. Now let me, let me, let me land the plane like this. Um, the problem I feel reading and working through this text is this text feels not like a cure, but more like a curse. This doesn't seem freeing. It feels condemning often. Because if we've really checked our hearts, we know we've failed. We know we flirted with that person. We know we've walked by his or her house. We know we've drifted towards disaster. We know we haven't loved the spouse, our spouse the way we ought to. We've taken that extra glance. Our mind has wandered, and we've either committed adultery, either literally or in our heart. And so we know we don't live up. And we feel the weight of this condemnation. We, we feel the, the eyes of that all-seeing God, and we know that it's hell that we deserve. And so what really is the cure in the end? Please hear me. What is the actual and ultimate cure in the end? Ready? It's Solomon's son. It's Solomon's son. Now, remember, Solomon is writing to his son. Solomon's sexual life was a mess. Countless wives, literally countless wives, led astray by those wives into idolatry, a complete lack of sexual holiness. And so Solomon is writing to his son, son, maybe you could live up. Maybe you could be what I w was not able to be. The problem is, is that this next son of Solomon would also fail. And his son's son would fail. And on and on and on, they would fail and fail and fail until finally Solomon had an heir. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus was the one person that Solomon's actually writing about right here. 
Solomon's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, was the only one who was actually able to live life this way. His eyes did not wander from the path. He was not lured by Diabolus or by the serpent in the wilderness. He obeyed and listened to his father's words perfectly. And because he did that, if we put our trust in him, it doesn't matter that we fail. He did it in our place. God views us, the Father views us as though he sees Jesus. Do you know that if you have put your trust in Jesus, when Jesus looks at you, or when Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. He looks at you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are my son and my daughter with whom I am well pleased. That is the Father's declaration over your life. He loves you more than you'll ever know. And so in that moment when you fail, the first thing you should do is get on your knees and thank God that Jesus already paid for that sin. You mess up today, Jesus died for that sin. Let that blow you out of the water. If you could actually get that into your heart, if I could actually get that into my heart, I would realize, my goodness, this longing for love is mine. It belongs to me in Jesus. The Father loves me like that, that he would give his only son to die on the cross so that I might belong to him. That's how crazy he is about me. That's how much value and worth you have. God is madly in love with you. He's crazy for you. Let that change your heart. Let that be the cure to push away sexual temptation in your life. Jesus is the cure. He's the perfect king, the perfect spouse. He's the one who lived, who died, who lived again so that man's soul so that your soul and my soul might belong to him again. Let's pray. Oh, Father, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. God, I pray that if there's any little tiny moment of condemnation right now, would they pin that to the cross? Lord, if anyone is feeling that, I pray that they would turn to you for forgiveness. God, you tell us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. God, there's no way that we could ever outsin your grace or your mercy. And so again, we throw ourselves onto you. It's in Jesus that we trust. God, help us to live holy lives for your glory, for our joy and flourishing. We know, Lord, these words to us are not a burden. They're a gift unto life. And so help us to receive it this way, that way, this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.